example, a few weeks ago, as the war in Ukraine was uh, increasing and escalating, some writers from Christianity Today reached out to faith leaders in Ukraine. And the question they asked them was, what was sustaining them in this season and what was helping them persevere? So a variety of faith leaders responded and shared with them a Bible verse that was helping to anchor them through this season. And then they offered just a reflection on what this experience has been like. I encourage you to read the whole article. There was one leader's response that really stood out to me. It was um, Alexander Gaishenko, who is the president of Odessa Theological Seminary in the Ukraine. Uh, He responded and said that the thing that is helping sustain him took place the Sunday before. He said, last Sunday, we celebrated our monthly Lord's Supper for the first time since the war began. And as I took the bread, I knew I was part of the body of Christ. What was sustaining him was the knowledge that he was connected, that he is connected to believers around the world and connected to Jesus who will sustain him through this season. Today we are talking about an image of Jesus. Jesus throughout the Gospel of John offered a variety of images that associate him with as being the son of God with a tangible image that tells us something important about him. And this morning we are studying what it means when Jesus says that he is the true vine. We're gonna be in John chapter 15, verses one through five, if you want to pull out a Bible app or open up your Bibles to join me in reading this passage. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. To get a better understanding of what Jesus is saying here, it may be helpful to know how uh, vines and branches actually look. So I have an image of what this looks like. What we have is a vine at the bottom and you'll see roots going down into the ground. Those roots pull up nutrients and moisture in order to feed the vine and then that vine produces uh, shoots. The shoots actually go out and they are uh, thin and green and actually pretty vulnerable at first but those shoots will then produce fruit and tendrils and leaves and as they mature, they form what looks like a bark around them to make them sturdier and stronger and more attached to the vine. Those branches can then be pruned and cared for, and as that happens, they continue to produce more and more fruit. So Jesus, as he's sitting with his disciples, calls upon this image and says that he is the true vine. And what he means when he says this is that he has the power to revive and to sustain God's people. He is the vine, they are the branches, and he can revive and sustain them. Now, Jesus doesn't just say that he is a vine. He says that he's the true vine, 
When we hear that word true, I think it's easy for us to think that, that the significance of being true is that maybe there's a false vine or a, a fake vine. It's almost like true is the opposite of that. But if we look at the Greek of what this word true means, the word is aletheinos. Can you say that with me? Aletheinos. Love that word. The, the word true here actually indicates perfection or wholeness, perfection or wholeness. Jesus is saying that he's the perfect vine or the whole vine because throughout the Old Testament, there are many, many instances in which God's people are compared to a vine or to a vineyard. But unfortunately, during some of those comparisons, God's people aren't in a very healthy place. What happened is God established his people, planted them, grew them, But historically, what took place is that God's people were attacked. They were exiled and spread out and cast away, cast away from one another. And in the midst of that destruction, we actually find reflections on this idea of God's people being a vine. We find this in Psalm 80, verses 8 through 13. It says, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forage ravage it, forests ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. What this passage is saying is that God's people, when they were in exile, they were like a vine that had no more protection, that was broken down, that was suffering, that was struggling, and that was the condition of God's people when they were exiled. But the amazing thing is that the psalmist who wrote this had a very specific idea about how that vine was going to come back to life. As we read on in Psalm 80, we read, Return to us, God Almighty. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. The hope of healing for God's people, the vine, is a specific man who could revive and sustain God's people. So the psalmist who wrote this passage, he was likely referring to a king in Israel, a leader at that time. But as we read passages like this, we can hold a both and posture of knowing that there were leaders in specific contexts that were likely uh, alluding to this passage, but also that God's people were revived and sustained through Jesus the son of God who came into the world. Jesus himself actually refers to himself as the son of man over and over again. He uses this language from the psalm to apply to himself. And as he does so, what he's saying is that he is associating himself with the savior of the vine, the savior of the vine in Psalm 80. And the way that he communicates this is by telling them, I am the true, the perfect, the whole vine. As the true vine, 
Jesus doesn't just bring healing to God's people, doesn't just revive them by being especially strong or especially good, but what Jesus actually does is he steps in to the suffering that that vine endured. As we read about this vine that's been broken down and it's trampled and it is suffering, Jesus says that he will become the true vine, not in his own might, but because he will willingly submit to the same suffering that God's people endured by going to the cross. And as he does that, God will be the one who resurrects him, who restores him, who revives him. And as that happens to Jesus, it will happen for the whole vine. It will happen for all of the branches. That restoration will take place through Jesus's own suffering. And as Jesus restores God's people, this true vine, he then invites us into life in the vine. We get to become branches on it. We get to be attached to Jesus who can sustain us and offer us life. And we get to produce good fruit, fruit of the Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. We get to say yes to belonging on the vine of Jesus, and the only request that Jesus makes is to remain. Now, to remain, that seems kind of simple. Um, It seems like a simple instruction or command that Jesus is giving here, but I think there are two things in particular that can stop us from remaining on the vine of Christ. The first thing is that remaining can seem passive. The second is that other vines can seem like they offer better sustenance. So this first problem is that remaining, to remain on the vine can seem like a passive activity. It can almost seem like just stay there, just stay put. And then if we coast through life, if we just coast on through, we'll remain, we'll be fine. But that word to remain in Greek, the word is meno. Can you say that with me? Meno. It means to remain, but it also means to abide or to make your home with. If any of you have ever relocated to a new city, you know that making your home in a new place isn't something that can happen passively. It actually takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of action on our part in order to establish ourselves. And it's far more than just like finding a new home, finding work. It's about, you have to build new community. You have to figure out traffic patterns. You have to figure out grocery stores, establishing a faith community. All of these things are steps that won't happen on their own. We actually have to take meaningful action in order to make a home in a new place. Jesus invites us to make our home with him and it can't happen passively. Remaining or abiding or menowing in Jesus ends up transforming the actual rhythms of our lives in a similar way that moving to a new city changes the rhythm of your life. It means that the sources of who speaks into our life, where we find our energy and our life and our sustenance, all of that changes because it is centered on Christ rather than centered on the world. The way that Dallas Willard put this is he said, how do we follow Jesus? The all-important answer is by being with him. Remember, that is how his first disciples followed him. When he selected the 12, it was first of all that they might be with him. 
If we cannot make sense of being with him and richly practice it, we shall never learn to do what he said for us to do. Our lives will never be transformed into light. If, on the other hand, we make it our whole business to remain with him, abundance of life will make us fruitful in every aspect of goodness and righteousness. Remaining in Jesus isn't passive, and because it is active, it changes us. It changes our rhythms of life. The other problem that we can run into is that other vines may seem like they offer better sustenance. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but if we're being really honest, I think there are a lot of things in this world that tell us that if we just trust in them and hope in them, that they will sustain us and we can rely on them. My family went to Florida a few weeks ago. Uh, my parents have a home and they live on a nature preserve. So we were standing on their back patio and they had had some friends over. One of the friends knew a lot about trees and plants in the area. And so she and I were standing together and she pointed out this very palmy, leafy branch that was kind of up above the tree line. And she said that that is a strangling fig. And so I asked what that was. This is an image of the actual tree in my parents' backyard. The strangling fig, what it does is it will attach itself to another plant or another tree, and it will continue to grow along that plant or that tree, wrapping itself around it until that plant or tree actually can't get the nutrients that it needs anymore. It physically strangles the other plants or the other trees. As I reflect on this passage, I think that there may be some vines in our lives that look healthy, that look productive, or even beautiful. But if we put our trust and our hope in them, if we look to them for sustenance, they may end up draining us, pulling the life from us rather than sustaining us. Two of these uh, insipid vines that we've been kind of referring to in some sermons over the past few months are accomplishment, and accumulation. Now, these are two things that, that are necessary in our lives. God calls us to get things done, and we need to be resourced in order to do them. But if we put our hope in them, if we really think deeply about it, they can pull life from us. Accomplishment promises us that our achievements, the things that we do, uh, will, will sustain us, and that those will offer us control, and security and life in an otherwise uncontrollable world. And these can be big things like uh, the next promotion or uh, getting a new uh, college or graduate degree. But this can also be everyday things like meeting a, a fitness goal or meeting a savings goal or getting an, uh, a grade that you're aiming for. For some of us, it also may mean things like getting your kids potty trained. I don't know. There are all kinds of accomplishments. <laughs> But these accomplishments, again, they're good. They're things that we, we can aim for. But if we look to them for our sense of life, for our sense of purpose, for our sense of sustenance, they can become strangling vines around us. The other insipid vine that I see is this promise of accumulation. Accumulation promises that if we acquire what we need, then that will sustain us and offer us control in an otherwise uncontrollable world. I was reflecting on kind of my daily rhythms a few months ago, and I had this reflection, I just kind of realized that my cell phone 
was playing a little bit too much of a role in my life, more than what I wanted. I realized that my cell phone can actually be a locus of both accomplishment and accumulation for me. Now, it's really nice, because I can get emails done. I could write a whole sermon on my phone. I can read whole books. My family calendar is there. My kids' activities, everything is on my phone. But I also have the ability to accumulate, to get anything that I need. I can do a whole target run through one app on my phone. And what I found is that I was relying on my cell phone quite a bit in order to accomplish, in order to accumulate, and those aren't necessarily bad things, but I had started to become more attentive to it than it was being attentive to me. So I've started putting my cell phone in timeout on regular intervals throughout the week. I've been putting my cell phone in my room and just letting it be in timeout. But unless we regularly evaluate what is giving us life, what is taking our life, what is offering us energy and sustenance and security, what is taking that from us, we, we then will be able to discern, are we connected to the vine of Jesus or has a strangling vine entered into our lives? The way that we know, the way that we can truly evaluate is the kind of fruit that we are producing, what our lives end up looking like. In our most recent copy of CPC Life, we did some missions partner devotionals, and Johanna Catanacho, the academic dean of Nazareth College, wrote the devotional for this passage on Jesus is the true vine. He said, as Christians, we are called to evaluate our fruitfulness, our impact and effectiveness in spreading the kingdom of God. We need to understand that the source of a fruitful life lies in an intimate relationship with Christ, in loving God's people, in obedience to God, in prayer and in our openness to be purified by the Father's hands. Our commitment to the vine entails a life of repentance, a commitment to fruitfulness and a vision of Christ that includes all the branches, the global church throughout history. As we live connected to the vine, our lives produce different fruit. Some of you may be wanting to uh, sing a certain uh, Sunday school song with me as we talk about Galatians 5 and the fruits of the Spirit, but Paul is very clear on what happens when we live a life connected to the vine. Will you read these with me? They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kinds of fruits that bear out of our lives when we are connected to the vine of Christ. If we are connected to a strangling vine, if we're connected to a different vine than Christ, the inverse can end up coming out of our lives and the inverse looks something along the lines, you don't have to read this with me. It looks something like self-absorption, despair, angst, irritation, stubbornness, inconsistency, harshness, chaos. These things come out of our lives when we are not attached to the vine of Christ. So just take a moment, think about this morning, think about this week. Take a moment to reflect and think about what are our lives producing? What are you producing and putting out into the world? Christ wants to sustain us He wants to offer us an abundance of his life and his peace and his love and his joy and his comfort. And in doing so, it will produce a different kind of fruit for us. I am going to invite the band up 
And uh, after a little while, we are going to take communion together. So if you are joining us online, go ahead and grab your communion elements. If you're in the room, raise your hands. Our ushers will bring by um, a communion pack if you didn't get one on, on your way in. Please join me now in prayer. Heavenly Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son into this world to revive and restore your people. God, that you may be sustainer. Lord, that you may be sustainer of the whole body of Christ of which we are just a part. But God, as we are branches, you have the ability, Lord, to sustain us and to help us produce good fruit in a world that is desperately in need of it. So we thank you, Lord. Lord, may we remain in you, abide in you, make our home in you. Amen.